Hey friends, and welcome back to this week's episode of Fit Friends Happy Hour. I'm your host, Katie, and this is episode 205. Today, I get to interview fellow non-diet dietitian and podcaster, Victoria Myers. Victoria shares her personal story with food, her personal story with body image. We talk about hormone health, digestive health, and I really love this theme that she shares about seeking wellness without the obsession. Victoria is the dietitian and owner of her own virtual private practice and online education center, Nourishing Minds Nutrition. Victoria and her staff specialize in empowering women to ditch diets, regulate hormones, heal digestion, and learn to practice wellness without obsession. She is also the host of the popular intuitive eating and wellness podcast, The Nourishing Women Podcast. Her mission for her community is to help women let go of the unhealthy obsession with healthy eating make peace with their body, and live their lives to the fullest. Welcome to Fit Friends Happy Hour, a podcast about all things nutrition, fitness, and life in your 20s and 30s, all from a non-diet lens. I'm your host, Katie Hake, and I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist and certified personal trainer. Join me here every week as I talk with interesting people and experts from all walks of life about their relationship with food, exercise, and their bodies. I am on a mission to help you redefine the word fit, to help you stop quantifying and start living. Learn to stop measuring your success by the scale and find your fears. Victoria, welcome to the podcast. We're so happy to have you today. Katie, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here with you. Disclaimer to listeners, it is a Friday afternoon, so we're just saying it right now. Our brains, we're going to do the best <laughs> that we can, but I'm so excited thank to you have you. <laughs> fellow podcaster, fellow dietitian, we have so much in common, so much of our theme of, of helping people with this non-diet mentality. So let's just start by telling us a little bit about yourself. How did you become a dietitian? You know, What's your story with food? Yes. Thank you for asking. I love that you asked like, what's my story with food? Cause I don't know that everyone always asks that type of question. You know, my story is probably similar to the people that I'm talking to. I never had a normal relationship with food and particularly my body. My body is always something that I really struggled with, unfortunately, even at a young age. And I was fortunate enough that disordered eating didn't really start for me until I was about 16 or so, but I definitely started through an quote unquote innocent diet and spiraled very, very quickly into disordered eating patterns. And I struggled with that for about 10 or so years is right around 25, 26, when I had some breakthroughs and really started to challenge that narrative that I always needed to be dieting and started to find the path of intuitive eating. But yeah, I mean, for me, it was really rooted in body image concerns, not liking how I looked, feeling as if I needed to be perfect, so to speak. So part of my personal story is I really struggled with perfectionism. And as a nutrition major and then a dietitian, I just really felt like I wanted people to believe in me. I wanted people to see that I was saying all the things I said you were supposed to do. And kind of breaks my heart to say that because now I obviously have a very different perception of what health means. But at the time, it really, really made me struggle. So I'd already been struggling with dieting, chronic dieting and disordered eating. And then I think my orthorexia really picked up during that time frame. But Like I mentioned around 25, 26, this is about seven years ago, um, I had some breakthrough moments and really started to analyze my relationship with food and my body and 
part of that meant for me healing some health issues. I had IBS for quite a while too. And I'm so grateful for all those experiences because that is why I'm just so insanely passionate about the work that I do now because I know what it's like to feel obsessed with being healthy, being that healthy one. If your community is familiar with the term orthorexia, that was me. And that's now the people who I serve in. It is an absolute honor to work with people at our practice, Nourishing Minds Nutrition, help them really embrace intuitive eating, help them really let go of that unhealthy obsession with eating healthy. And then for us, we tend to do that work often in conjunction with hormone issues or digestive issues because they can go often hand in hand with orthorexia. So that's just, you know, a kind of a glimpse of who I am in the work that I do. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And, you know, unfortunately, I, I agree. I think so many fellow health professionals have a similar story, right, to where we took it to one extreme. So you touched on this, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about what were some of those breakthrough moments you mentioned you struggled with some digestive health issues, but you know, were you ever formally diagnosed with orthorexia or what were some of those moments where you went, oh, this isn't okay. This isn't normal. Yes. Oh, okay. Love this. So no, I was never formally diagnosed with anything actually. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure even had I ever found a doctor or therapist that I ever would have been. I feel like a lot has changed in the space in recent years, but back, you know, seven, 10 years ago, when I was starting to like realize I had an unhealthy relationship with food, I wouldn't have met any of the classifications. I wouldn't have met the weight or the weight loss or uh, the restriction. And I think that's where orthorexia can get kind of tricky is because it is very disordered, but it doesn't always meet eating disorder classification. Now it can have a lot of, um, exhibit a lot of similarities, but I honestly don't know that I would have ever been diagnosed, which makes me even more passionate about it because I think there's a lot of people who aren't getting help that they deserve because they don't feel like they meet that. And that was definitely me too. So that was definitely my case with that. The breakthrough moments, you know, I will never forget we were, um, I'd gotten married uh, and I had been pretty restrictive the whole year prior to getting married. And we went on our honeymoon and I binge ate the entire time. Just after a year of restriction, I was very preoccupied and just like obsessed with eating as much as I could because I had just, my body needed it. So I, I remember coming home from the honeymoon and feeling pretty disappointed that that's really all I remember and all I experienced. And I had a few more sessions like that happen. And honestly, it made me wake up one day. I can like vividly remember laying in bed and thinking to myself, there has to be another way. Like there has to be another way to do food. Like this can't be how I live my life for the rest of my life. And gosh, I wish I could remember what blog it was, but I remember finding a blog talking about intuitive eating. And then I got the book and it just kind of, it it went from there where I really started to immerse myself in the world of intuitive eating. Victoria, I have goosebumps you telling that story of being on your honeymoon. I recently got married, so I can so just relate to that, like having these big life moments and looking back and recognizing, wow, I wasn't fully present or what, you know, those memories that you do draw on that are so focused around food or this hyper focus on your body. So tell us a little bit more about your struggle with hormone health and your digestive issues that you figured out. I know you became passionate about IBS and gut health and intuitive eating approach after your own history. So tell us a little more about that. Yeah. And it kind of, I mean, it goes hand in hand with orthorexia and disordered eating. So I'd be happy to discuss this. So kind of similar to orthorexia, I never got a lot of 
diagnoses or answers from doctors. Now, I think it is so important to go to a doctor and I will never, like I always tell people, go talk to a doctor first, get things ruled out. But in my personal case, and what I hear often from clients is I got a lot of things ruled out. I was so lucky to not have celiac disease, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, but you know, they kind of just gave me the diagnosis of IBS and sent me on my way. I mean, I even got a colonoscopy to confirm, like we did a lot of things and they had no answers. No one ever sat me down and asked me about my relationship with food. Um, at the time, I don't feel like there was a ton of research around SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth either. So there just wasn't a lot of answers being provided. So in, you, I hate to cut you off, but can you explain briefly what SIBO is to yeah, our listeners? Course. Yeah. So it is believed that a large percentage of people with IBS have SIBO. SIBO is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And essentially what that means is you have an overgrowth of bacteria in your small intestines. Now, again, a lot has changed in recent years. We work with clients all the time that have IBS and SIBO. And I mean, almost always now doctors are ordering the breath test. They're giving antibiotics. But again, in my experience, that just wasn't as well known, even though the research had been out for some time. So Again, for me personally, what I discovered through my own healing, um, although I wish it would have been on my own, I wish I'd had support, was that it was the disordered eating and the SIBO causing my symptoms. So it was kind of dual, <laughs> dual healing of like I needed to do um, some healing for the SIBO. And then I also needed to do some disordered eating work and heal my relationship with food. And as I reflect back now, I really still even feel like the disordered eating trumped even the SIBO. Um, I really feel like as I look, I mean, the moment I started struggling with disordered eating, I started having IBS-like symptoms. So I really feel like that was at the catalyst of everything. And I wish there was more research actually on those two going hand in hand. We know that there's gastroparesis, so delayed gut motility. We know that it affects the way your digestion works when you have disordered eating. So I would just be so dang curious to know like if the research shows that like maybe that could be part of what happens with SIBO. Who knows? We'll figure that out one day. <laughs> yeah, I haven't looked into it, but I'd be interested as well. Like, like I, you said, as you're talking about this, I think like what came first, the chicken or the egg? Like, exactly, right? Exactly. And I'm like, well, we don't have any research, but it kind of makes sense to me, right? If we know things get delayed in motility and we know it's an overgrowth of bacteria, I just wonder, right? And for a lot of my clients, they do wonder if they, again, chicken or egg, what's happening. So yeah, that was a big part of my my healing journey with that. Um, and then also um, getting off the birth control pill, I had some complications that took me quite a while to get my period back and regulated. Again, I don't know that I would have ever been diagnosed from a doctor, but as I look back now, I probably had HA for a period of time. I was heavily over-exercising and under-eating when I came off the pill. I will say my uh, my love and passion for hormones. I, I did have my own experiences, but that really comes from clients. Man, I have seen just time and time again when we struggle with our relationship with food, how quickly that can impact us losing our periods. And it just became one of those things where I had to talk about it because they were so often going hand in hand together. Yeah, I found that with clients as well. So. Can you share, if you don't mind me asking, what were some of those challenges that you experienced coming off the pill? Because again, we're talking about women's health. I think that's another area that just isn't talked about enough. And it's so common that we see in practice, like these things <laughs> going hand to hand and you're like, wait, nobody's addressed this with you. You know, can you explain or share a little bit about your experience? Yes. My personal experience was that I just didn't have a period for a while coming off of it and just didn't know like, hey, maybe you should get lab tests, talk to a doctor. I just went off of it. 
Um, and I'd been on it for about, oh gosh, I think it was like 10, 11, 12 years. It was somewhere in that time frame. So I'd been on it for a really long time. I'd also went on it originally at a pretty young age to mask my period symptoms. I had extremely heavy periods to the point where like, we were like, we got to do something. Let's get me on birth control. Um, and while I'm grateful that there's those options at the same time, I'm like, okay, well, there was obviously something going on. I, I do wish we could have would have done some root cause work to figure out why that may have been potentially happening. So, um, and it is believed that the people who went on birth control, the research I've seen says something around like 60% of people go on birth control to fix symptoms. And there is a time Ugh. and place for that for sure. Like, I mean, I think of like endometriosis. statistic. It's a huge statistic. And there, there are times and places where like endometriosis clients I have, like, I think that makes so much sense. That is such a condition that like we have to do everything in our power to help them manage their intense symptoms. That wasn't my experience though, right? Like mine was more like, I just was having really heavy periods, some cramping, not to that extreme though. And I wish we would have known that, but they do think that people who get on it to fix symptoms have a harder time getting their period back and then getting it regulated and consistent. So like I shared when I came off of it, just nothing happened for a while and I didn't have a period at all. And then I started to realize, you know, some of the behaviors that lead towards amenorrhea and started to change those. And I did get a period, took some more time. And eventually after about 20 or so months, I got a consistent monthly period, have had a consistent period ever since. Um, but yeah, that's my personal story is it just took a long time to get my period back coming off the pill. Wow. 20 months is, is a long time. And, you know, where you knew you were going through this, was it something you were concerned about? Was it, did a health professional bring this up with you? I mean, did you understand why a period was so important? And do you mind sharing with listeners, like, why should people care about this? Like maybe somebody's listening to this and they're recognizing like, oh, I don't have a period. Why should I care? I don't, or even if somebody like doesn't want to have kids, why, why is that important? Especially from a hormone standpoint. Yes. Your period is, is the fifth vital sign. That's the term from Lisa Henderson, Jack. And I love that term so much because I think it really helps us stand out why it's so important to have a period. So whether it's, you know, you're getting off the pill and you're trying to get your period back consistent, or you may actually have a diagnosis and confirmed hypothalamic amenorrhea, often just called HA. Um, you know, it's really important to get your period back from that because if there are health implications, I don't like to scare or fear monger people, but I do think it's important to understand when we don't have a cycle that there are implications to your bones, to your brain, and to your heart. Uh, and basically what that comes down to is estrogen. Estrogen is extremely protective to our body in different ways, again, including your bones, brain, and heart, and just helps our body to have health. Uh, we, I don't think we talk often about how like your actual hormones help you feel your best. I, I know a lot of times people care more about their bones and stuff, but what I always like to say too, is like, it's so helpful in the intuitive eating journey. It's so helpful just to know like why you might be more hungry one day or why you might have cravings for specific food or your energy levels, your mood swings, your sex drive. Like these things are all related to and connected to our hormones. So if we don't have any hormones at all, um, which is essentially what's happening with HA, your your ovulation switch in your hypothalamus and your brain essentially cuts off um, because the body sees or perceives it as a time of survival, that it's in a famine. So it cuts off and it shuts down all the pathways that lead toward your hormones. So ovulation happening in the menstruation and, and it really does impact how you feel. So yes, it matters to your, to your health and to your fertility. But again, I often like to think of like, gosh, it's just so hard to feel energized, to feel 
um, you know, like you have a sex drive to feel like you understand it, you know, the cues of your body when we don't have a period. So that's when I really think of it's so important to have a monthly cycle and to understand it and to know when you're ovulating, to know when you're menstruating. And if you're not working to get that back and to recover from HA. I'm curious, you know, we hear, I feel like on Instagram, there's so much around about hormone health and, you know, this functional medicine approach where I'm curious of your opinion, since you are health at every size, intuitive eating focused, you know, what are some of the messaging out there that you see from other maybe professionals that maybe doesn't align with the approach that you take? <laughs> I love this question. I'm giggling because I'm like, how do I want to answer this? I'm going to be kind. I, I but- tiptoe, but but you understand what I'm trying to ask, right? There's uh, absolutely. I, I I don't agree with most of it, to be honest. And here's why: HA is just such an interesting hormone health condition. So it is a hormonal health concern, right? Like you have a missing period, your hypothalamus has shut off. We have amenorrhea, right? And it's, it's a hormone condition that's so unlike the rest because it is directly caused from your behaviors, namely under eating and over exercising. So it's just so different because of that uniqueness of it being directly caused from those things where other hormone conditions, I think P2S is a great example of this, that is primarily genetic. It is not anything that we did to cause ourselves to have PCOS. And that's, if you're asking some of the, you know, the language used in the functional medicine world, some of the issues I, I have major concerns with is the language that they use to describe is almost like, well, you can fix it and heal it yourself. And um, it's your job to heal yourself and also your fault that you have. And I just think that's really unfair to say that, you know, because we know that it is largely genetic. And also, I'm talking of health at every size, particularly with PCOS is that, gosh, they really make it sound like your weight is your problem. And that's the only way to fix that. And that's just so unfortunate. Yeah, because, but but we also know people with PCOS have four times more likely to develop disordered eating. So again, I just think that's, that's not the way I would ever approach it. There are aspects of functional medicine, like the Dutch test and supplementation. We actually do use in our practice, but since we specialize in HA, and we do still see people with PCOS. We just have a different approach to it because I believe in everything. A non-diet, health at every size, intuitive eating approach is the way to healing. So I will lastly add with HA in mind, you know, HA is something that can happen at any body size. So I think what can be problematic about HA is that if you have a missing period, but maybe you don't fit the criteria of how people usually perceive someone with HA, if you're not underweight, so common. I can't tell you how many times I've seen this in my practice, Katie, where a client just immediately gets diagnosed with PCOS, but they actually have HA. So I I think that's actually somewhere where we can maybe utilize some functional medicine testing or just even look at the lab test your doctor ordered to really identify that. But when we're thinking of the health at every size approach, I think that also gets problematic because people get told that they have one thing just simply because they're not underweight and they uh, have a missing period, but there's more to it than that. And um, yeah, I, I think it's so important to support all people and all bodies, all hormone conditions from and health at every size lens, like always. <laughs> amen. Amen. And I, I love that you bring this up and I'm, I'm just so happy that you're here on the show and talking about this because I hope people listening are understanding that you can work through health issues. You can work through, you know, IBS or these really challenging medical concerns, but also doing it from a non-diet standpoint. So I feel like I have to ask this question because this comes up with, you know, gut conditions, but how do you feel about like 
elimination diets and things like that, right? Like, cause that's, I think a lot of people who do get diagnosed, they get told, okay, you need to go on an elimination diet. So how does that tie in if you're also navigating, you know, this intuitive eating approach as well? I think there's a time and place for it. I think, you know, everything should be individualized. I do not like blanket statements of like all people with IBS should avoid gluten or dairy, or let's even throw FODMOPs into there. So the low FODMOP approach is one that is evidence-based for IBS. We definitely use it in our clinical practice, like absolutely use it. However, like if we know someone also has disordered relationship to food, we are typically not always, but typically focusing on that first. And then we bring in those implementations of like avoiding or or minimizing certain foods just to see if it helps manage symptoms if need be though. And I think that's sometimes where in the digestive world, I mean, it is, it's, it will make you seem like immediately, like you should avoid a hundred foods if you go and read anything on the internet these days. And we know people for disordered eating, that's only going to increase their food anxiety and their stress around food tenfold. So I don't think that that's always a helpful approach. And we try to avoid that like as much as possible. Like that's our, like basically like our last option to use if we have to. And more so what we focus on is improving their gut brain access, making sure that their body is getting in the rest and digest, the parasympathetic nervous system, healing their relationship with food, because we know food anxiety perpetuates symptoms. Um, If we want to use supplements or gentle nutrition practices where we add in foods, we focus on all of that before we think, okay, do we need to eliminate food? So again, I think there's a time and place for it. I don't ever recommend the non-evidence-based ones. You see things that they're like gaps and you know, oh gosh, there's just so many of them, but that's not there's what we ever one. use. A new one every what week. What is the new one? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't like, know. I don't know either. But what I always tell my clients is like we stick to evidence-based things. So the low FOMOP diet is evidence-based, but sometimes it, we don't even have to use that to get healing too. It really just depends on the person. Yeah. What I'm hearing from you is that regardless of where you're at, your relationship with food is really is the foundation is the foundation that we all really need in order to really see that sustainable change or really get to a place that is, I should maybe say easier to navigate some of those symptoms and and kind of what you're going through. Absolutely. And I mean, again, we can think there's just so many things we can add in before we think about things to take out. I just think we live in a culture and a, you know, the healthiest the wellness diet right now that's so focused on like always taking things out first. And like I just shared, there could be a time and place for that, but let's focus on like add-in mentality first before we go that down that route, which I know is not like the sexy answer. Okay, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it's like more empowering. You don't have to yeah. go that route. Like there could be a possibility you could heal without that. I love that. So I want to switch gears a little bit here. What tips do you have for someone who is struggling with, let's say, body image issues while they're also navigating some of these major health concerns like IBS or these other, you know, hormonal issues? Yeah, I think it's so important to address these things. And as we even heard in my personal story, is that so linked to the reasons why we develop an unhealthy relationship with food to begin with? So I think body image work, it should always be done in conjunction. What I have learned through clients is that bloating is one of those things that hands down always causes people really negative body image days. So we're always thinking about things like that. Like what are the symptoms people are experiencing and how's that impacting their body image? And then I'll share with HA something that I hear all the time is that 
it makes people distrust their bodies or feel disconnected from their bodies or um, not believing that it's possible for them to heal because they feel like their body is broken. So you kind of take a lot of those concepts that we hear from people and really help them understand that their body is not broken. It's just protecting them either by sending symptoms saying like, hey, I need more food or um, this anxiety you have around food is perpetuating these symptoms you're experiencing or like, hey, like I need more food to get my period back and just help them understand that like food can be a way to heal, but not from this, like, again, what we were saying earlier, like having to eliminate all these things. So I think with body image work, it is really important though, that we address those things when we're thinking of hormones and digestion, because so much of the root of why people develop these issues comes from that place, right? And understanding that and asking questions to help them figure out where that is coming from. Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely always address that. I want to repeat this for our listeners, because what you said, just, I I had like a light bulb moment of that. It's that mindset shift of thinking from my body's broken to no, my body's actually trying to protect me. And I think that statement alone is so empowering regardless of where you're at on that journey of recognizing like, nope, your body is actually on your side, even when it it's not. <laughs> Absolutely. I am. Um, you're making me think of a client I just met with today. And that was the very conversation I had with her. She is someone like many of my clients where she's the past with eating disorder, where we're truly in the intuitive eating principles, helping her embrace intuitive eating in her life. I'm so proud of her for finally getting to that stage. But she, like so many of my clients, has really, like, really pervasive digestive issues. The moment she skips a meal, skips a snack, um, like any any changes in her eating. And what I always share with her, and I'll share with you guys now, is that I think there's just something about a body that once had that level of restriction that just gets so protective of being like, I never want to get back to this place. So she is totally fine digestion wise as long as she's always eating, you know, consistently, regularly eating enough. And I think that's really important to think about if you're someone who's listening that maybe has a history of disordered eating, has digestive issues, like, could it be that your body's trying to protect you and send you some signals, not that you need to go avoid all the new foods that you're being told to avoid? Just something to reflect on for sure. Yeah, that's an interesting thing to to think about as well. Because people, I feel like when they start the intuitive eating process, it feels long. It feels like I'm not making progress, but being able to recognize those moments where you do feel X, Y, Z, or it feels like an air quote step back. It's actually very important information that your body is trying to relate to you. Yeah. And digestive issues or any, any health condition, right? Like it's not fun necessarily. I'm not trying to like say it's fun to experience, but could we look at that as like, what is your body trying to tell you? What is your body trying to give you insight about what's going on here and try to like reflect and be in partnership with your body instead of seeing it as, um, I hear words like the enemy or like my body doesn't like me or like, I hate my body because it's giving me all these symptoms. Um, but like, what about partnering instead with your body and seeing it as a protective mechanism as we've been talking about? Yeah. So much more empowering when we come from that lens. I agree. So I think we covered, oh my gosh, we covered so much already, but are there any (laughs) other major challenges that your clients face? And maybe you can share like a client story of just someone who you've loved working with and, and their story and how you've how you change their life, because that's what I'm hearing is that you change a lot of lives. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, that's like hard to think off the top of my head, what kind of client story I want to share. But I just want to say, I guess maybe for the person who loves health and wellness, who loves 
fitness, because I know you guys talk a lot about that here on the show. Those are wonderful things. You know, intuitive eating is not asking that we take away those things. It's just actually enhancing them by really thinking about our relationship with them and making sure that we're not using them to avoid what's really going on underneath, such as like body image concerns, right? We talked a lot about how body image is often at the core of things. So I think it can be just really helpful to keep that mindset of like, you are allowed to enjoy health and wellness. It is so fun to take care of yourself and to really treat yourself with respect and dignity, but we don't have to do it with obsession. We actually have a philosophy in our um, community of, it's called wellness without obsession. And I think that just so beautifully articulates what that means to us of like, gosh, it is so fun if health is the value of yours, but let's not do it with obsession because that's not healthy for any of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Wellness without obsession. Intuitive eating is just the best of both worlds. It I'm, really bi- is. I'm, I'm very biased, obviously. <laughs> if you're listening to the show, you know that by now, but I firmly agree in, and believe that in my core. Oh, yes. And I think I firmly believe intuitive eating is the best thing that ever happened in my life for my clients. And I really genuinely believe it is for all people, all bodies, all conditions. And I hope through conversations like this, Katie, we're helping people to see that. I am so cheesy, but I seriously have goosebumps because I love just connecting with women like you and other health professionals, especially who get it, who, you know, it's evidence-based, but it's like you're sharing so much evidence and real life examples of like how it's so applicable. And so I think for anybody listening, just like you said, who feels like, well, I have X, Y, Z or this is going on in my body, intuitive eating won't work for me. And this is a you know, this whole episode has been a perfect example of, no, it it actually can. And we'll probably leave you in a much better place taking this route. Yeah, I I totally agree. And I have so much compassion for that person who potentially feels that way. But Mm -hmm. I think it's always helpful just to like follow podcasts like this, right? Or um, our podcast is the Nourishing Women podcast. Get true education on intuitive eating. I find people who often think that they can't do it while they have celiac or IBS or HA or PCOS is because they see stuff on social media that's like, it's just eating intuitively all day, or it's just doing, you know, list the hunger and fullness, or it's just eating donuts all day. And while it is aspects of all those things for sure, there's so much more to this. And I think that can be like, that's where education just can be so empowering of like really, truly understanding how this practice works. Absolutely. I love to finish up each episode with my favorite question. So I want to hear, especially because it's Friday, what is the best thing that's happened to you this week? This week? Oh my goodness. My daughter. So this is technically going into last week, but I think you'll forgive me. My daughter turned two. And I like, I, oh my goodness. I literally can't believe it. I'm like, it's been two years of like the best, like the hardest years of my life, but also truly the best years of my life. And watching her grow up and become a little human being has been the best thing ever. I've been like, <laughs> sounds so pitiful, but like sad mom crying for weeks about it. And I did not Aww. feel this way the first birthday, but the second one's really, really hitting my heart hard because I'm just like, I can't believe she's growing up so quickly. And um, I really feel like I, I became a better person because of her and really started stepping more into my power, even in my own profession with this business and really just on a mission to change this. I would say like one of my like intentions behind owning my business is so that my daughter doesn't have to grow up the same way I did with my relationship with body and food. And um, more more than just, right. More than just my daughter though. I really, I really think we have a chance of changing the next generation's relationship with food. And I I am on a mission as I know you are too, to change that. Takes an army. That's for sure. 
It does. <laughs> well, Victoria, it has been such an honor to have you on the show and you've brought so many golden nuggets just today. Where can our listeners find you and learn more? You mentioned your podcast. Where do you like to hang out? Tell us where to find you. Yes, thanks for having me. And thank you so much for having me on the show, Katie. This has been truly a pleasure and I cannot wait to have you on my podcast. So there's a few different places you can find our work. The first place and the most popular one is the Nourishing Women podcast. So we talk about women's health, intuitive eating, body image, uh, wellness without obsession. We talk about a lot of different categories, just anything basically someone who's interested in wellness without obsession. You'd be interested in the podcast. Uh, We air episodes two episodes a week. Uh, We also have Victoria Myers blog and we have our virtual private practice and online programs at nourishingmindsnutrition.com. And then lastly, you can find us at two Instagram accounts. Our main one is at nourishingmindsnutrition. And then I do have a personal account, which is at Victoria Myers underscore. We will be sure to link to all those in the show notes. And again, appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for having me on. Don't forget, if you enjoyed this episode today, please tag us on Instagram, take a screenshot, put it on your stories, tag at KT Hake. You can also tag Victoria Myers or Nourishing Minds Nutrition. And if you want to continue this conversation about intuitive eating and this whole non-diet journey, we always invite you to join our free community. Just click the link in the show notes and we'll see you there. P.S. Have you ever wondered what type of eater you are? Like what's your eating style? Well, great news. We created a free, super fun quiz to help you figure out just that. It takes you less than three minutes. You just answer some questions. It's super fun. And we'll tell you what type of eater you are. What's your eating style? And along with that, you're going to get some free tools to help you navigate your non-diet journey. Just go to katiehake.com forward slash quiz or click the link in the show notes to take it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fit Friends Happy Hour. If you liked this episode, don't forget to share it with a friend. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Fit Friends Happy Hour. Talk to you next time.